Hey there, welcome to the Collide Podcast. This is Willow Weston, the host of this podcast that comes to you every single week. And if you don't know that and you're not already a subscriber, I hope that you will go and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to podcasts. I absolutely love being able to interview people who are experiencing God show up in their lives and then use them to do amazing things here in the world that's impacting other people and today's no different. I interviewed my friend Christy Nip. She's a licensed mental health counselor, and she primarily works with teen clients who are experiencing anxiety, depression, and trauma. And we had a conversation that I'm about to hand you about the rapidly increasing and alarming rates of suicidal ideation, sadness, uh, sexual trauma, depression that teen girls are experiencing. And my hope for you is that if you are a mom, that this would greatly impact you as you walk alongside your kid. And if you are a teacher or a youth worker or have a heart for a kid, I hope that this helps you to help them. Check it out. Christy, I love having you on the podcast. You've uh, been on before, and it's always a fan favorite. And so thank you for hanging out with me. Oh, my pleasure. This is going to be so fun. Well, I just want to jump right in. I know we could talk about, we just did a little bit offline, kids and life and craziness, all the good stuff. But really, I asked you to be on this podcast because, and I'll pull it out here, this article came across my desk last spring and from the CDC talking about uh, teen girls. And some of the things that they're saying is that teen girls are experiencing record high levels of violence, sadness, and suicide risk. In fact, it says nearly one in three, and this was taken, this analysis was taken in 2021, nearly one in three seriously considered attempting suicide, which is up 60% from a decade ago. Mm -hmm. One in five experienced sexual violence in the past year, which is up 20% since 2017. And more than one in 10 girls had been forced to have sex, which is up 27% since 2019. And I read some of these stats and they go on and on. It's a three-page report and was overwhelmed by what I was hearing, what I was reading. I have a teen girl myself, but also took this back to staff and just thought, what can we do to have conversations to help moms help their daughters? And so that's why I invited you on here today. I I know that's a big thing to tackle, but are you ready oh, for it? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I would say teenagers are... My favorite. They're my, my favorite demographic. They're my majority of my work is with teenagers and their families. And so I, it's an honor and a privilege to talk about this topic with you, Willow. So when you hear these numbers that are just increasing at these alarming levels, what do you think is causing this rapid growth and hardship for teen girls? Well, it's interesting because I, and you've probably heard and seen the studies about this too, but just like generally in our country, um, Vivek Murthy, who's the Surgeon General right now, who was also the Surgeon General under Obama, did this huge research undertaking and discovered that there's this tremendous epidemic of loneliness. Mm. And we're seeing it in every age group, but it certainly is impacting teen girls particularly. 
And you'll see like in the CDC's research, like one of their primary solutions for like, what do we do about this was a thing that they're calling like school connections. They're recognizing that some of what is happening is that teenagers are so disconnected from each other, um, from broader community, from their families. And so they're just trying to figure out the big stuff of life, which is a normal teenage thing to try to figure out the big stuff of life. But they're doing that with like extra pressure and in isolation and it's crippling them. It's crippling them. And so I think, you know, for me, it's like, well, what's happening? It's, it's like all these girls are disconnected and we see that girls had a harder time under COVID because of the lack of connection than boys did. I mean, that's not like one-to-one, but it's like, generally that's what people are noticing and seeing. And so you're coming out of a pandemic where they were isolated. And then you have this culture that's keeping them apart in a number of different ways. And then you see that they're having tremendous mental health impact because of this uh, isolation. And it's interesting because I think even, you know, Tim and I have girls, we are trying to think thoughtfully about how we parent. We've read the book Sticky Faith. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. It's a chap, Mm -hmm. Clark, Kara Powell wrote it. And one of their main things that they would say is when we think about having our kids hang on to their faith, like throughout the course of their life, having them be in rich community as they grow, and particularly in their teenage years, having them have intentional relationships with people in your home, but also outside of your home that can come around side of them, that that does tremendous good for their well-being generally, but also for their faith trajectory. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and then, yeah, go ahead. Interesting, because when you bring that up, I'm thinking, well, Obviously, COVID had a huge effect mm-hmm. on that. We're seeing a mass exodus out of the church right. in the last few years because of the division and polarization yes. that's happened in the last four to six years. And so that automatically um, removes community that maybe would have organically been there. Mm-hmm. But I'm also curious how much of this loneliness has to do with the onset of iPhones. Because I had a friend who read this same report and, and looked at kind of the the graph, and it almost looks like some of these issues started growing at an alarming rate at the onset of iPhones, almost like you you your loneliness is hiding behind a, you know, four by two rectangle. Yes. Right. Oh, 100%. 100%. And that's the, that's the ironic thing about iPhones. It's ironic thing about social media because, you know, we're sold the lie of we'll have this thing to help you stay more connected. And in fact, it is isolating people. And, you know, and it's not like a one-to-one causation, like iPhone equals depression in teen girls, but there's so many studies that are saying that there is a significant connection you know, is the iPhone the cause of the depression or does depression lead for more time on your iPhone? Like, you know, it's a chicken or an egg type thing. But that relationship is statistically and, you know, proven by scientists that, yes, that the that the impact of the iPhone, the impact of social media is significant on all of us, but on this particular demographic of teen girls. I mean, some of it's how much time they're spending on their iPhone, but some of it's how much time they're spending not doing other things because they're on their phone. Because, you know, things like extracurricular activities and like actually talking to their friends or going outside or, you know, even doing their homework. Like there's all these things that they're not doing because they're spending time on their phones. Um, and, you know, I know that we'll talk more about this later, but I think some of it is like what function is their phone serving? 
um, is it serving as an escape? Is it serving as, you know, this means of connecting with other people? But even just how you use your phone is a predictor of this experience of loneliness and isolation and um, anxiety and depression. Well, it's a weird thing because you can post about your life and get all these likes or get these kind of like little dopamine rushes yes. because you got attention. But what you're posting isn't necessarily what's really going on, mm-hmm. right? Like you can post a win in a game, but you're not posting about your parents talking about getting divorced, right? And so you can really feel unknown while presenting that you're very known, yes. which I would think would leave kids very confused on what real connection actually feels and looks like. Oh, 100%. Well, and I think that it's like creating the situation. Like I am noticing so much uh, focus in the teenagers I'm talking to of their obsession with awkwardness. You know, this idea that I can present in a very controlled way in social media, but then in real life, oh my goodness, like how do I navigate that in real life? And they're not even having practice. And so, I mean, awkwardness is something that you experience in puberty anyways, because you're hyper-social, you're aware of yourself and you're aware of other people and there's all this emotions and hormones and la, 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 la. But then coming out of the pandemic, I'm like seeing all these eighth and ninth and 10th graders that didn't have practice being awkward and then don't have practice in real life interacting because they're only interacting on their phones. And then they're just like so freaked out about how to even have a normal conversation. And, and, you know, and so I'm just like, you can do this, like reach across the room, say the thing, like be honest. But it's taking a lot of coaching to, to work through that fear of being perceived as awkward because so much of social media we present is like, is controlled. Like you were saying, we control what we post, and we tend to be particular about what it is that we're posting. So a mom who's listening, who has a kid who's glued to their phone, uh, avoiding awkward experiences in face-to-face interactions, feels more comfortable sort of hiding behind social media instead of fully being known and connecting with community. What What do you encourage a mom to do to encourage her kid to step outside from behind that and start engaging in real relationships? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about teenagers is they don't really being told, they don't like being told what to do. (laughs) So it takes a lot of finesse. You know, it takes a lot of finesse because you, you are still the parent. You are still in charge. I say this to the teens I see all the time. Like you still have a parent. You are not in charge yet, but like them buying into what you're saying matters. And so I really like to use a lot of like with them, you know, when I'm coaching parents, I try to have them use language of like, I wonder, like, I wonder, um, or I've been noticing, like, I've been noticing you've been spending a lot of time on your phone. Tell me more about that. Like, I want to understand you. What are you noticing in yourself after that's happening? What are you noticing even drawing you to your phone? Is that working for you? You know, maybe in the moment, it feels like the right choice to make, but then is it working in real life? Does it lead to you feeling more connected? Um, I wonder if maybe some other activities or some other form of community or some other form of connection might actually be more more beneficial, as scary as that sounds. Um, How can I help support that? Um, Could we do some brainstorming around like what would be fun 
for you to do. But for me, in my experience with my own daughters, but then also in the people that I see, I think a teenager really has to own that. They have to own their change or else, I mean, you can make a teenager change, but it just doesn't work very well. They just become bitter and grumpy at you and that creates more distance in the relationship. So as much as possible to help you know, steward that conversation, but help the teenager own what they're noticing and what they want to do different is, is beneficial in the long term. So, um, but parents are also parents. They're allowed to get set screen time limits and say, no, you're not allowed to have that. I think it's easier to catch on the front end. You know, my kids think that I'm weird and crazy, but we don't talk about them having a phone until after they're done with their sixth grade year. And then even then we don't give them an iPhone, we give them a Gab phone, which is a phone that it looks like an iPhone, but doesn't have the internet and can't have access to social media. And they think that, you know, again, just because we're trying to slow the train down a little bit. So, I mean, there are things you can do on the front end too, but it's like once your child is a high schooler that has an iPhone with all the the things, you know, you have to be having those conversations and trying to understand them and make those decisions with them. Um, you know, it's interesting because I just hit emptiness mode, as you know, and I look back now, I can look back over the last four or five years of my kids being teenagers longer, I suppose. And there's so many times where I just told them my opinions about things that I believe to be true mm. about the phone or anything else, rather than you're suggesting, let's invite them into uh, paying attention to themselves, how they feel, what they think might be best. I think that's all great. When I look back, I think I did that, but I also think I did some bargaining. Mm. I I had this realization at one point and I looked at Rob and I'm like, we're paying for this. Yes. Like we're paying for them to be disconnected from us and from other people. We, in some sense, are in control because we actually pay this bill. And I got mad at myself that I'd let it get to a point where it, it seemed unhealthy. And I I think there's an element, and I know you're a counselor, so you can tell me if I'm wrong, you can psychoanalyze me, but there is an element where we have to fight for that connection in our families, where we have to model it. And I see it. I, I mean, I've gone on vacations with people. I, I see people in restaurants, um, even in our own house. Sometimes if you're bored, you just pick up a phone now and you look around. Now everyone's on their phones. We're not playing chess anymore. We're not playing charades or, or, you know, gin rummy or going and taking the dogs on a, you know, to the dog park or going on bike rides or talking about anything. We're literally just staring at our phones. And I think there is an element of this where parents have to model the the healthy relationship with a phone in order for their kids to have the same healthy relationship. We can't expect them to to ask, I wonder if we're not asking it as well. Oh, 100%. 100%. And I think to be honest, like to be honest with your with your kids that it's a struggle for you or, you know, to be honest about how you notice it impacting you or to be honest about, hey, like I'm realizing I need boundaries around my phone, around my own screen time. Will you hold me accountable? 
Like this is what, you know, and, and to, to, to name that reality, like I want us to be a family who is connecting through like playing together, spending time together, having conversations together. And I'm realizing that our phones are getting in the way of that. And as the person still in charge here, like I, we can't do this anymore. Like you're too important to me. I can't pay for this. Yes, Knowing you, like I, knowing you is way more important to me than knowing whatever Shirley is doing on Tuesday. Like I want to know you. And, and I think to have those check-ins with ourselves where we're, where we're able to say like, I am, I'm in the parent here. Like, I remember when the girls were little and they were losing their minds, like in the bathtub. And I was like getting so angry and I left the bathroom and was like trying to take deep breaths. And like, the Lord was like, Christy, you are the parent here. Like you are the adult. Mm -hmm. And I think I still have to say that to myself sometimes when my daughter's rolling her eyes and not wanting to engage with me to be like, I am the parent. I am the adult and, and not not that she can't learn to have self-control and not that she can't learn how to use her phone properly. But I, like, I am the one that God is saying, like, you know, it's you, like, it's you, you are your children's first teacher. And what does it look like to model for them? Like, yeah. A healthy relationship with their phone among so many other things. Mm -hmm. So these numbers, I'm wondering when you think about all the images, all the voices, all the pressures that are saying, do this, be this, look like this, don't do this, don't be like this, don't look like this, all of these things. How much of that is impacting young girls today? Oh, 100%. I mean, we think about... um I don't know if you just, if you saw the new Barbie movie, you know, it's the thing of the summer, but I mean, even in there, they kind of reference this idea that, you know, we don't want to play with Barbies because maybe you don't want to have to look like a Barbie. Like the whole idea of girls comparing themselves to each other. I mean, we do it as adult women. You know what I mean? We have to own that we do that as an adult women as we try to figure out because we're social creatures. Like God has designed us to gain feedback from one another. Like that's a good thing to like spur one another on is a really good thing. And yet the downside of that is there is, there's this temptation and this ugliness around comparison. And as adult women, we can acknowledge that and like own that. But as teenage girls, like that's, that comes to life, you know, with, with that realization that they are a person that other people can see and that they can project a certain persona about who they are in this world. Like the comparison like just like explodes for them. And so then you have this season where comparison is already like a normal, natural part. And then you give them a phone and you invite them to take pictures of themselves like on the daily all the time to try to connect with other people or try to show what they're doing. When it's no wonder they become like so focused on what they look like and what other person looks like and what other person is doing. Like, cause they're... They have this God-given innate compulsion to like know and be known and connect with other people. And it just gets really twisted, you know? And so, and I think helping our daughters say like, oh, wow, like when I am just on my phone scrolling through images and just absorbing the images that I'm seeing and I'm not actually connecting with my friends or like being creative when I'm just absorbing that content. Like that content is gross and not helpful for my own understanding of who I am. That's not actually informing anything about who I want to become. It's actually like creating this like grossness inside of my soul. 
Are you struggling with ongoing anxiety or occasional worry? We understand how difficult it can be to cope with these feelings, but there is hope. We've collaborated with five highly respected mental health professionals to create the five-week guide to help manage your anxiety. This guide is filled with practical and spiritual tools that can be added to your toolkit. With wisdom and support, we'll meet you where you're at and help you get to where you want to be. Instead of turning to self-numbing or escapism, engage in spiritual practices and life-changing reflections and add these tools to your toolkit. Don't let anxiety control your life. Let the Anxiety Guide be your companion on the journey toward healing and peace of mind. Get your copy today by clicking the link in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I learned a while ago that that if you sort of draw a line and you say, this is my reality, and then you put your expectations way above that, that these are my expectations, the difference between your expectations and your reality is your discontentment or your disappointment. And I think a lot of young teenagers feel really discontent in who they are and disappointed in who they are, and they think their reality has to change. But what really might need to change is their expectations and how do they begin to go, you know what, I may never look like Jenny. I may never have the same gifts as Susie. I may never have the same family or social status or whatever as like Joe. And so how do they go, hey, it's not that I need to change. It's that my expectations do. Because when you have all these voices coming at you, I mean, I think, and I'm going to age myself here, but I'm turning 50 this year. And I was laughing with a girlfriend the other day when I was a teenager, you had to subscribe to teen magazine. Oh, yeah. To get images. I mean, on TV, it was like mash and like um, I don't know, like, I'm trying to think of shows we watched, but they weren't bombarding you with images of this is what you have to be to be, you know, a, a beautiful woman or whatever. And, and so you might have gotten a magazine sent to you once a month, you know, and you saw images that way. But this is like, the phone is bombarding us every day with so many images that you're you're constantly feeling like you have to change and be something but you you don't you don't know how to yes. because you can't be someone else. Oh, 100%. Well, and the images that this, that they're often giving are pretty sexualized, you know, like it's going back to the CDC study like sexual violence is happening and not it's not never the fault of the person who is the victim of those experiences but like our girls are growing up in a very sexualized culture and so it's not just images of pretty people with no flaws that have been photoshopped perfect but it's also like images that aren't aren't appropriate even just for their own brain development and like shouldn't be shared with the world and so i just like i think that Yes. Yes. Like learning, like cultivating a sense of gratitude in our teenagers for who they are, for like the particular ways that God has created them, like intentionally and purposefully and with great care and love and having them, you know, model for them, like, you know, I mean, positive affirmation, but even just gratitude for, for who they are and who God has made them to be. And even just comfort with our own bodies and our own self-images, like going back to that modeling idea, but then also saying like, like that is not right. Like how people are being presented, you know, 
is inappropriate and is not right. Like that also is a part of that conversation. And so it's like teaching them, like, like you are so good with how God made you, you know, like that is, that is what is real. And, and we, you know, like we can change the color of your hair and cut it to make it cuter. We can like, I can teach you how to put on your makeup differently. Or if you want to go buy a different top, like, sure, let's go shopping. But like, the essence of who you are is so good. And I want to be thankful for that. And I want you to be thankful for that someday. Like, like how do we, how do we lower that bar of like our expectations and reality? Like some of that is gratitude. Like I am so thankful that this is how God made you. Like I am so thankful that this is how God made me. Like this is what I see in you. And, um, and just like be speaking that like gratitude over our girls. Um, I think is really, really important. Christy, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about what are some of the indicators that we have a kid struggling with anxiety. Mm -hmm. There might be moms listening who um, don't know how to locate if what they're seeing is anxiety or not. So how how would you advise them? What to look for? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's tricky because teenagers are... You know, they have they have their moments, they have their struggles. And so it's like, was this a teenage moment or is there something more going on here? So it's a very legitimate question that you're posing, Willow. I to me, I look for dr- somewhat dramatic change. Am I noticing a change in their sleeping? Am I noticing a change in their appetite? Am I noticing a change in their social engagements? Am I noticing a change in their participation in school? Am I getting feedback from other arenas of their life that something has shifted? Is there like a lot of extra retreat that they're doing, either like retreating into themselves, retreating into their room, retreating into their phone? Like, are they, are they creating? Are they participating or have they withdrawn? I mean, some of those are symptoms of anxiety. Some of those are symptoms of depression, but that's all like, those should be alerts for us. Like when we see our kids, and I think we do this as parents, but when we see our kids kind of shrinking um, and the sleep and the eating and the going, being social are like three pretty easy markers for parents to notice um, that, that, yeah, those are things that I have parents check check right away. And the other thing is just to have a conversation, you know, to say, Hey, this is what, again, this is what I'm noticing. You don't seem like quite yourself. Is there something on your mind? And I recognize that not every parent can have that conversation super easily with their child. But I think even, even the parent being willing to have that conversation to say, I want to understand you. I'm not trying to invade your privacy, I, I, but I do want to know you and support you and love you. And I'm just, you don't seem quite yourself. And can we, would you be willing to talk to me about that? I love that you say that because I think so often we hesitate to have that conversation because our kid maybe has shown us those teenage eye roll standoffish moments in the past. And so we just assume that that's what will present when we try to engage what's really going on. But half the time, at least with my teenagers, when I would approach them with something I was concerned about and just ask questions, in the moment, they might give me nothing. 
but I know that I brought my best to say, hey, I'm here if you do want to talk about it. And usually within a couple of days or a week, I'll have one of my kids come back and say, you know, I think what's going on is this, you know? So I think also leaving space for that process and making yourself available and then waiting for when they're ready feels helpful. Oh, for sure. Well, and also, you know, again, like going back to the community idea, maybe my girls don't want to talk to me, but maybe they want to talk to their friend's mom or their small group leader or their coach or their teacher. And so that all, that often can be a choice too. Like, Hey, maybe I'm not the person that feels like you're ready to have this conversation with, but would you be up for having a conversation with this person about this? Because again, like we're not meant to raise our kids or to live life in isolation, but to be in these interconnected relationships. And I, and I, and I know, I know that teachers and coaches and mentors and other people's parents are having those profound, deep conversations with children that they, you know, don't live with. And so, and I'm grateful for that, you know, and I would just even say, if you're listening and you are that mom who like buys the extra food and, you know, drives the extra drive and, and is having those conversations, like, thank you. Like that matters so, so much. So true. Are the indicators of depression and suicidal ideations the same as anxiety or should we be looking for something else? Well, I mean, I think the idea of anxiety is that there's like this perceived fear that doesn't fit reality. So, and, and we hold that in our bodies in a way that's kind of like an energy, um, you know, and we could talk more about that, but depression is really like a subduing that happens and an apathy that takes over. It's not so much like a, an anticipated fear, but it's a hopelessness. Um, and, and honestly, like as a, as a parent, that's, that is really scary to see your child like lose their drive, their motivation, their hope, um, that things are going to get better. And so I think, you know, if, if depression is presenting itself, you know, often it is like the sleeping a lot, um, just telling you that they're super tired. You know, they probably even just look like downcast in, in, in their, in their presentation, their physical presentation. Um, and I, and I think it's, it's scary. Like as a parent, it is scary to say like, are you okay? Like, are you safe? Has, have you ever thought about harming yourself? Like those are, those are like terrifying. Like that takes us so much courage to have those types of conversations. But if you are sensing that that is in the room, um, please have those conversations because I think some, sometimes if, if we catch it early on enough, you know, to, and this, this is just sometimes like, but if we, if we catch it to say like, Hey, like what's going on here? And that sometimes that's, that's enough. Oh, oh, somebody's paying attention. You know, somebody's noticing I'm not as isolated and lonely as I thought I was my mom or my dad or my sister or whoever. Um, yeah. And again, to, to try to have that, that conversation, I know there's a, there's a temptation and I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing exactly, but there's a temptation to like, well, I'm just going to check my kid's phone. Like I'm worried about them. I'm just going to, ch- 
check my kid's phone or check my kid's room. And there's nothing wrong with being Snoopy. I mean, I think sometimes that is like Holy Spirit inspired Snoopiness, but that can't be like our main go-to, you know, of knowing our kids. Like our main go-to has to just be like having those honest conversations and saying like, I'm with you. I see you. I love you. You know, what do you need? Um, yeah. Although, you know, I sometimes it, for, for some of my parents, it's like, yeah, I looked at their phone and oh my goodness, now I saw that I needed to make some changes here. So that was my next question. So you recognize some of these indicators. You have a conversation with your kid and either your kid gives you nothing and you're worried. What do you do? Or your kid indicates, yes, I'm struggling. And then what do you do? I mean, I would say that the teenager has to, will, has to participate. I mean, I, I, and sometimes they don't want to, and that's okay. Then you have to be the parent and be the one in charge and say, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. If you don't, if you don't have any ideas, well, then I've got some. Um, ideally you would be able to say like, Hey, this is what I'm noticing. Tell me more about that. I want to understand you. Okay. Well, what can we do together? Like you are not alone in this. What can we do together? Mm-hmm. I would take them to the doctor. Number one, go, go, mm-hmm. go to your family doctor, have them get a full medical workup, make it, make sure there's no something else going on that's causing their distress. Having that honest conversation, having a medical person, like having a view into that situation is very reassuring and powerful for people. I mean, whether or not you like your doctor or not, I do think it's helpful. And then saying like, hey, like what, what do we need to do to communicate this at school so that you can feel more seen and supported at school? What can we do so that you feel more seen and supported with your friends or in your activities? Do you, do you want to talk to a counselor? Maybe they say no, but maybe you think, you know, I'm the parent. I think you need to. And sometimes I say to parents, just give me three sessions. Or, and I say to the kid, just give me three sessions. Let's just spend three sessions together. Let's hang out. If you still are over it and you don't want to spend time with me, like, okay, then I haven't really done my job, honestly. But if I can just get a kid like to have a few times with me and to realize, oh, like she's, she's pretty relatable, you know, or she is a good listener. This, this isn't so bad. Like, I think getting the kid in the counseling door is also just super helpful. And so so I just say to parents, tell them they have to come for two to four times. After that, we can talk about it. Um, Rarely do I have a teenager quit after two or four times. They almost always want to stay. Yeah. It's a special, a special thing to have a space for yourself once a week where you get to process what's on the inside. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good thing. I uh, am curious what you think about this. This wasn't a planned question, but I think about it because I work with a ton of women, as you know, and I get calls all the time. We do here daily for women who need help, but a lot of times they're calling because their kids need help. And I think there's this interesting thing that I notice where maybe in a home, you're so concerned about your kid getting help for their anxiety, your kid getting, you know, healing for past trauma, your kid getting help for depression, but you have anxiety, you have depression, you have wounds, and you're not doing anything for your own. And I think so often as moms, sometimes our stuff can come out sideways onto our kid um, that can actually sort of exacerbate their 
struggles. And so I guess I'm just curious, you're a counselor, like how much do you think parents should be engaging their own mental health work alongside their kid doing the same? Oh, I sure hope they are. And honestly, like I remember when the girls were little and I came to the realization that I couldn't make them eat and I couldn't make them sleep. And like, I couldn't even make them peer poop in the potty as much as I wanted to, you know? And I think the same is true. Like we cannot make our kids mental health healthy. Like we can't, we can pray and we can speak truth and we can love and we can feed them and we can do all these things. But at the end of the day, we have to surrender them to Jesus. But like you said, Willow, we can do our own work. And that matters. Like, again, we are impacting each other on a daily basis. And if you're like, okay, like I can't make my kid get well. I can't make them choose hope, but I can choose hope and I can get well. And so I'm going to do that because, and because we impact each other, it will impact. It just does. That's just how it works. That's the magic of it. And so I think for these family systems where it's like the child is struggling for the parents to say, okay, we are going to work on our marriage or I'm going to work on my own things. I'm going to model for them what it is to like take care of my body and take care of my mind and take care of my heart and be following after Jesus. And, and I just like pray that they get scooped up into that energy of new life because new life is attractive. You know, new life is energizing and to stand ahead and to have that up close and personal model of like a parent really dealing with their things in front of them. That's hope. You know, that's hope that, oh my goodness, even my mom turning 50, she can change. Like, maybe there's well, hope and still. Well, it's interesting, right? Like, I think about, I'll throw my husband under a bus. It'll be funny. <laughs> um, we were laughing about this the other day. He was mad about something and he sort of with a loud voice was like, you guys need to chill out. <laughs> and I... This is terrible, but my natural instinct was to start laughing because the one person that was talking at a high decibel was telling everyone else they need to chill out. And I was like, dude, you're actually the one raising your voice. And I say that and he it's not a thing that he does all the time, but and he won't be mad that I shared it. But I say that because sometimes it's kind of like kid, you need to deal with your depression and anxiety, but like, what am I doing about mine? And in the same way, it would be like, oh, we want our kids to know that like self-care and exercise is important. So we're like, you need to exercise, but we're not exercising. You know what I mean? So there's this, we get a lot of people who want to help their kid, but they're not helping themselves. And so their kid is still coming back after their counseling and their work to a house with parents who are still like fighting like cats and dogs and not doing anything to find peace and, you know, conflict resolution and health in their relationships. Or they're coming back to homes where their parent can't get out of bed and their parent can't stop crying and their parent hasn't dealt with their grief, but we're trying to get our kid help on dealing with their grief. And I understand as a mom, like who has the time for, right, jobs and work and carpool and 
cooking dinner and taking your kids to counseling and you going to counseling and doctor point, I like totally understand all that. I, I've lived that life and it is really hard and you hit seasons where it feels impossible. But I guess I'm just wondering from your perspective as a counselor, how important is it that we are doing the work side by side our kid or can we really expect our kid like drop our kid off at counseling and hope you know, that they experience this new life that you're talking about while we're still sitting in our old sick life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, because I do think the time that we take to invest in ourselves as moms, as hard as that is, that really does matter. It really does matter. And I felt that in my own life. Like when I turned 40, I was like, I'm going to do, I need to do something, you know? And so what did I do? I asked my friend Janelle and we decided to join the CrossFit gym, which is like the most unexpected situation that you would ever put me in because I am not a <laughs> bodybuilder type at It's true, all. guys. If you know Christy, <laughs> this like, is like a quaint person. But <laughs> I have felt this, like I've just been reminded, like when I take time to care for myself, I am a better me. And when I'm a better me, I'm a better mom and I'm a better mom listening to my kids. And so I think even though sometimes I'm like, I've got a lot of stuff to do. Do I really need to go to the gym for an hour? Yes, I really do need to go to the gym for an hour because if I'm going to be able to listen to my teenager talk at 930 at night about her struggles, it helps that I have just worked my butt off for an hour at the gym. And so I think it's, I just would say like, don't believe that lie that doesn't matter because it does. Like it does matter to get ourselves to counseling, to get ourselves to the gym, to like pay attention to what we need, even though so much of motherhood is like surrendering and pouring out, like it does, it makes a difference and it matters. And I, and I want to, I want to model like with our phones and with my own mental health and with my physical health to my girls, like you can, you can do this. Like you can do this. I'm doing this. I'm not perfect. And we're doing this together, but like, but let's do this together. Like, let's do this together. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You almost have to trick your own mind and say, I'm going to the gym for my kids. Yes. Then you're willing to do well, it. Or I'm hey. going to counseling for my kids. Well, and please. you trick yourself there. And then you start to realize it's for you, but it does have a great impact on your children. Well, I yes. That's such a heart of a mom, right? You have to remind yourself, like, I need to do self-care. And I'm modeling self-care. And I'm modeling going to counseling and going to the doctor and doing all these things. So when there's a moment where my teenager might need to do those things, she will have already seen yes. that I've been doing those. And yeah, it's that's a challenge. That's a challenge for us to make space to do that. No. It's hard, but it's so good when we do. No, it is. It is. And I think that, yeah, to just to, uh, yeah, I mean, I think for us to as much as we, as much as we can, like I'm the worst, like, you know, my girl has her first track meet today. And I'm like anxious, you know, as we're talking about this, you know, cause, cause I hold, like I hold that, like when our kids are struggling, like I, we hold that, we feel that, or at least me, the feeler does. And so, but to recognize, like, I can, I can be that like steady presence in the life of my kids, not all the time, not perfectly, but like, but God wants to use me in my everyday life. And, and I want to be in sync with what he has for me and, and I can offer and I can offer that. And what I'm offering is like good, um, and it matters and, and my girls are going to feel that, you know, they're going to feel that. And so I just think, cause I think so much 
of motherhood, a lot of life feels invisible. You know, it's like, well, what is it? What does it matter? But no, like it does. Like it, it really, it really, really does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think with anything in life, if we have to go into something, I mean, obviously you're a counselor, I'm in ministry. When we show up to our jobs and we know that we have to go and really invest in people who need us, we can't just come tired and unprepared and all of those things. And I think being a mom of a teenage girl is probably the largest ministry you'll ever have in your life, 100%. right? To walk alongside a teenage girl, it sucks the bone marrow out of your bones. It like takes you on emotional roller coasters. It exhausts you. Like I just remember leaving work and being so tired and then you go home and you're like, you know, you're taking them places and driving them places, you're cooking for them, you're helping them with school and signing field trip forms, but you're also, how was your day? And hearing about, you know, mean girls and hormonal stuff and all the learning. It's just so much. You mentioned earlier, like going to bed, like laying in bed, talking to your teenager at 930 and that's when they start opening up and you're like, oh my gosh, all I want to do is go to sleep because I have to get up and do it all the next day, but it matters. And so I think it's so important for us as moms to, to make space and margin to get what we need to be able to keep pouring in and investing into them. This season is so short and they need us so much. So I love that you hopped on yes. today to talk about teen girls and what they're struggling with. I feel like we could talk about it for hours. I know people are going to want to connect with you and the work you do. If that's you listening, email collide at info at wecollide.net and we can give you information about Christy. But Christy, I always love hanging out with you. Thanks for being here today. Anytime, Willow. My pleasure. Anytime. Like I said, I could talk about this all day. So thank you for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, we might it. have to have a part two. Let's do it. You let me know. <laughs> okay. okay. Awesome. Thank you. Friend, I hope that that interview with Christy Nip was helpful to you. And I want to point out that we have a manager anxiety guide that actually was created by our staff along with, I believe it's something like six or seven counselors who contributed to help a woman or a young girl, teenager walk alongside recognizing their anxiety. It gives tools. There's an anxiety tracker in there, all sorts of things. And the more I thought about it as I was listening to Christy talk, I thought, man, that could be a really cool thing for moms to do and moms to invite their daughters to do. Or maybe you mentor a kid and that's something you could do with them, walk alongside with them in that. You can check that out on our website at wecollide.net. And my hope for you is that as you continue to pour out and love the teen girls in your life, that God would use you to just infuse them with hope and with a sense of worthiness and a sense of their own belovedness, that they would know that without a shadow of a doubt, they're here for a reason. And I pray God would use you to remind them of that each and every day. Keep colliding, friend, and we'll catch you next week.